Bitcoin, crypto bubbles, passive indexation. There's a lot of financial jargon out there. Old Mutual can help you make sense of it all and give you great advice to make the right decisions. If you've got a question or want to know how to get the most out of your money, call them on 0860 60 60 60 or speak to an Old Mutual financial advisor or your broker. Today's the day. Get great financial advice so you can do great things. Old Mutual is a licensed financial services provider. You're listening to a podcast from 702 and Cape Talk. And you're back on The Money Show with Rifilo Muloto, sitting in today one more time for Bruce Whitfield. The Money Show is brought to you by Old Mutual, a licensed financial services provider. Today's the day. Get great financial advice and do great things. And one of the biggest great things about today is it's Freedom Day. I hope you've been celebrating. Many of us have had some time off, um, and not so much us here in the studio, but I know many of you out there have had some time off. One of the biggest uh, introductions from freedom is, of course, or one of the best benefits of freedom is the ability for us to understand one another's cultures. We'll be speaking a little bit later on to Zaid Osman, the founder of Sneaker Exchange, to speak a little bit about what is now known as the largest sneaker expo in Africa. What has been the influence and the impact of the sneaker industry on business uh, and on and how has culture actually affected it of course as with every week even if bruce is not here we're going to be having the brutal biz quiz that's going to be happening just before the top of the hour unfortunately there are no prizes this week we're only going to be having the bragging rights Um, however first and foremost before we get to that we want to speak a little bit about one of the most democratized parts of our democracy which was our media many many years ago uh, we used to expect our adverts to come only through our tv screens our radio stations um, or on billboards, but now the democratization of digital spaces has allowed brand influencers to have a massive impact on the advertising industry. Now, the brand influencer model is not necessarily a new concept in marketing and the advertising world. It has probably just become a little bit more familiar to us today. If the term brand influencer seems new to you, you might simply need to cast your mind back to the early 1980s when Coca-Cola was the most dominant soda brand in the world, but certainly neck and neck in competition with Pepsi-Cola in the United States. Now, this also happened to be the year after Michael Jackson's Thriller album and the peak of its success. The point, Pepsi had been trying to position itself as the drink of the new generation. Michael Jackson was the voice of that generation, and the idea was to make Pepsi look young and Coca-Cola look old. Ad agency BBDO entered into a groundbreaking and at the time the most expensive celebrity-linked ad campaign in history, a $5 million integrated partnership that spanned across above and below the line advertising, including Michael incorporating the famous song Billie Jean into the jingle, logos, tour sponsorships. It became the ad strategy strategy of legends. Even today it's still spoken about it in uh, ad circles. And the risky bet paid off by 1984. Pepsi sales had increased to $7.7 billion dollars gaining market share while Coca-Cola's market share dropped. Today, you don't need a Michael Jackson to do that. You don't need to pay $5 million because you might be able to just hand a Pepsi can over to an influencer who has a really strong following on Instagram. And today we want to speak to the managing director of Platinum Seed, Bradley Elliott, to help us understand a little bit about how that plays out. Bradley, welcome to the show. Bradley, are you there? Yep, I'm here. Hi, please, please. Yeah. Yes, I hear you clearly. Tell yeah. us a little bit about the makeup and the shape of the influencer market and how it's changed advertising. Yeah, I mean that's a, I mean that's a very broad-based question. As you said, you know, <laughs> influencer marketing is nothing new. Um, you know, Coca-Cola sort of started off in 1930 with Santa Claus. Just thinking about your Pepsi reference True. there. Um, so, 
I think I think obviously you know as you said digital has has disrupted media um, disrupted the channels and I think we really look at um, four different layers of influence um, celebrities as you know they carry a huge amounts of influence celebrity endorsements of the sort of original influence is um, and through the rise of digital we've seen uh, online influence has become really predominant and those are people with massive followings um, on social networks, YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, you know, back in the day, Vine, any of those. Mm. Um, and really that was due to, you know, sort of Gen Z and millennials consuming media more online than, than through TV and radio per se. Um, now those influencers have almost become celebrities in their own right. And obviously the same sort of pitfalls are happening with, in terms of brands linking themselves to those influencers and the more and more brands that link, them, link themselves to those influencers, the, there's a decrease in authenticity and, um, you know, people tend to see through that. So the next sort of layer that's coming is micro-influencers, which are people with much smaller followings, but that happen to be experts on niche products. And to your point, what we're talking about today or hoping to talk about is brand influencers, which are just ordinary people um, that happen to be advocates of brands, follow their follow these brands on social media. Mm. Uh, they don't want to be influencers. They don't want to be paid for, but they do carry a huge propensity of digital word of mouth. So Bradley, what sort of sectors are getting the most attention from the influencer trend here in South Africa? Um, in South Africa, I mean, it, it tends to be your, your typical one that you would expect, retail, predominantly retail clothing, so fashion makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Um, food and beverages, um, you know, but it, it doesn't only stop there. I mean, you know, financial services sectors, um, we see anything that really has a very strong cause attached to it tends to have um, a higher quality of influencership, if we could call it that. So we looked at certain brand communities like nonprofit organizations. They tend to have a lot more influence because there's a real cause or passion behind them. It's not just um, following a brand or product um, or talking about a brand or product. Um, Those tend to carry a lot more. Anything with a real authentic cause behind it tends to carry a lot more velocity of conversation um, in the online space. Sure. It would make sense, I suppose, for an NGO um, where conversation is really what you're you're trying to generate, or at least awareness. Um, And and it also makes sense, it would seem, that advertising budgets can be slashed quite significantly if this is a cleverly adopted strategy. To what extent are we actually seeing this come through to the bottom line, though? And how can you measure Uh, that with influencers? Yeah, I mean, that's a really good question. I mean, our whole purpose or our whole sort of goal is to actually start going beyond metrics of... um, followers and engagement and reach and actually looking, you know, how does this actually physically affect the bottom line, um, which is a great point. Um, I think it's to really, we're able to start, you know, through sort of machine learning and AI and algorithms, start identifying how certain influencers actually affect purchase behavior amongst their peer sets. So although they might, they might not be purchasers themselves, we can actually create a, a social network that actually shows how they influence purchase amongst peers. Um, in terms of NGOs, I mean, that's a great point. I mean, that's more donation-related. Um, but what we're really saying to brands is try and find a bit more. It's still a huge content marketing failure. Still try to find a cause around really strong content that has a passion point. So, you know, earlier you were talking about sneakers as a, as a subculture or how it's impacting um, our culture and, and sort of socioeconomic makeup. Mm. Um, and that would be a great cause for 
or a great passion point for a brand to match onto. You know, we, we looked at some brands that were really uh, aligned themselves with running and, you know, sort of marathons and those types of things. Um, and obviously by doing product placement and using influencers there, they were able to show a direct return um, on the bottom line by actually showing an increase of sales of sneakers or running shoes within that particular community. Right. So, Bradley, you know, Platinum Seed is obviously a creative consulting agency. You would spend a lot of time trying to see where the market is going in the future. But just looking around, um, particularly currently as a consumer myself um, and just watching other brands, it seems as though the the influencer model has really reached what might be described as a peak last year. I think um, in the I read an article in, in The Wanted about the skepticism that's coming around, um, you know, following the influencer model. The, the Cosmo cover has got a, a slew of influencers. Uh, Cosmopolitan's magazine, most recent magazine cover has a slew of influencers on its cover. Um, there was a story, I think, was a story, I think, a couple of weeks ago in the Sunday papers about how to make money off being an influencer. I think I saw a story on CNN, African Voices as well. It would seem as though the more you are recognized in it as an influencer, the less authenticity you can have because the consumer now knows you're being paid to endorse something. Uh, yeah, 100%. I mean, you, you've nailed it. I mean, for us looking into the future, it's not that the model is dead. It's that, it, that, it's that brands um, need to look beyond using just paid-for influencers, yes. let's put it that way. Um, and also the metrics are also changing, or the measures of success are changing. So, you know, the measures that always used to be, you know, how many fans or followers does this person have? Right. You know, it's a, typical, it's a typical marketer's dream to, to hide behind um, being very opinionated, you know, fluffy metrics, like reach, <laughs> you know, sure. and, and, you know, eyeballs. Um, you know, we, we really want to go, okay, you know, who drives real conversation and engagement within 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 digital communities. And that's why we sort of see the next step, like I said, as ordinary, we call them brand influencers. There are people that follow brands online. Yes. They do not know that when they engage with that brand, that brand content, the speed at which that brand content gets a lot more engagement or a lot more um, reach and engaged reach actually is due to them. So those are the two people we're talking about. Um, it's about... Uh, forming relationships with people who don't want to be paid for influencers. They already have a strong affinity to the brand and just using technology to actually identify those people. That is the next wave because those people are authentic. They don't want to be paid for. The metrics aren't around reach um, or just reach alone or followers, fans and yes. followers. It's more around propensity to carry um, conversation in the online space. So, I mean, to your point, I mean, I don't think it's quite reached its peak. I do think that people are seeing through it. Um, mm. And obviously, we live in a very sceptical society at the moment. People don't trust the media, they don't trust governments, they don't trust you know anyone. Um, so it's really about using, it's really about trying to get back down to authenticity and using the people that you have. You know, brands have spent years plowing money into building these communities in social media networks, um, and now there's actually an opportunity to leverage those people. Just ordinary people to, to be their, their brand influencers. And those you sort of define as with fewer than 5,000 followers. Yeah. I, I know mean, it's not we, the we defini- even, defining, but... It's not the defining metric for sure, but I mean, it, it, it's people with a couple of hundred followers, you know what I mean? Um, they could have 5,000 for sure, but I mean, it's more it's more around their propensity to drive uh, velocity of conversation within a within a community more than anything else. Well, Bradley, I'm very much looking forward to the developments that Platinum Seed comes up with. Um, I, for one, uh, definitely want to be able to believe in the likes that I put through and turn them into marketing gold for you. That.
That was Bradley Elliott, Managing Director of Creative Consulting firm Platinum Seed. At time. 702 and Cape Talk, The Money Show. And we're back. It's 20 minutes past six. You're still with Rifilo Moloto sitting in for Bruce Whitfield this week on The Money Show. Do stay with us for the rest of the hour. Um, even when Bruce is not around, we always have the brutal biz quiz. No prizes for getting the right answers today, but a healthy sense of competition and definitely bragging rights is all you really need. And of course, we'll be listening in to the best bits of The Money Show a little bit after the news um, and, uh, and the sport. First of all, before that, of course, we're speaking about sneakers or as we South Africa Africans call them techies. The industry's come a long way from the Tommy Tackies of our childhood. Uh, we used to roll down our luminous socks in the 90s. We don't do that anymore. All the high techs that we could swap out with the Feldskun. Now, massive industry players around the world like Nike, Reebok, Adidas, um, Converse, Puma have taken full advantage of a gigantic and fast-growing lucrative segment of the apparel market. In fact, Forbes magazine and Business Insider recorded that last year this was a $55 billion industry around the world, almost $20 billion of which is in the United States. And get this, it's not just new shoes. You, the actual resale market where people actually try to find collector's items on the second-hand market is estimated at a billion dollars in the United States alone. So what's driving this phenomenon? Phenomenon? They're called sneakerheads, collectors or massive drivers of the sneaker culture who are so invested in their love of sneakers that they can collect tens and some people up to hundreds of pairs of them. I guess it's the Louboutin for the sneaker industry. <laughs> no red bottoms, though. But South Africa hasn't been left out of this global phenomenon, and a company called Sneaker Exchange is in its fifth year of hosting what is now the largest sneaker expo in Africa. It's taking place this weekend in Cape Town uh, from 11 to 7 tomorrow at uh, the Cape Town Cruise Terminal at the VNA Waterfront. And the founder, Zaid Osman, is on the line to tell us a little bit about the impact of this culture, specifically in South Africa and Africa, and what to expect from this milestone event. Zaid, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Hey, how are you doing? Thanks for having me. Yeah, so please tell me what influenced to be involved in this business. Can we describe you as a sneakerhead? Um, I think I've always had a passion for sneakers, you know. Um, I grew up in the States, so it was always second nature. You know, every day is kind of Sibby's day, so you're always trying to be the freshest guy <laughs> at school and all of that, you know. Um, and then when we moved back to South Africa, like there was a lot of people that would come to me, you know, trying to find limited sneakers, trying to find the pairs of shoes that I'm wearing. Um, and then eventually it just got to a point where I was like, look, you know, I can start importing the shoes and all of those type of things from the States, from Europe or from wherever else, you know. Um, and that's pretty much how the event started. You know, it was it was a lot of personal sneakers that I had. Yes. And I mean, I went to a whole bunch of these type of events in the States and all of that. But now it was about, okay, cool, bringing all of this stuff back onto the continent, giving it our unique touch, mm -hmm. but as well as pushing the whole global uh, phase of sneakers. And I mean, w within sneakers, there's a lot of different subcultures as well. You know, right. you have music, you have art, um, you have fashion, you have food, you have cars, you know, it kind of all plays Absolutely. together and they all play their role, you know. Now I'm eager to understand a little bit more about those subcultures, but just taking one step back, how big is the sneaker industry in South Africa and how, how fast is it growing? It's growing at a phenomenal rate. Um, I remember when we started this event in 2013, um, the event had about 80 people. 
that attended the event. Mm-hmm. You know, um, now we're close to about four thousand people that will come through to the event, come through selling sneakers, and they are so like the the whole general mass is so much more educated right. on sneakers. You know, um, simple example like there will be pairs of shoes that will release um, at say four thousand rand. To get that sure. shoe, you need to enter a raffle. 4,000 rand is still cheap for that shoe. The I second, understand so. We get average <laughs> numbers from four, sort of like $465, which is well above that. Exactly. So that shoe will release at that price. But let's say there's maybe 100 units that come into South Africa. Right. There's like a queue of maybe three, 400 people outside a store trying to get that shoe. And then... The, like once they have that shoe, immediately the reseller market pushes it up to like eight to nine thousand rand. So you can imagine how people are like crazy for that that pay, and it's a lot of like uh, collaboration. So you'll say like, okay, cool, Kanye West does a collaboration with Adidas. Right. That shoe automatically is hype. You know, you have all the Kardashians wearing it. You have all of this um, guys that are fashion forward, kind of endorsing that as well. Exactly. Um, and we just go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to say, we were just having this conversation about influencers um, and how they impact yeah. brands. You know, hip-hop, um, rap, basketball have been massive influences or have had massive impact on the culture. I was just curious, in the South, you know, you were talking about bringing it into our own context, into the South African sort of special spin. You know, who, who, who's driving or who's the big influencer in SA um, uh, that, that you'd rely on uh, uh, to, to, to move these sneakers? perspective and all of that stuff you know you have your guys like your ricky ricks your okay maloom cool cats your it's called like the whole boys and bucks crew they've kind of created that scene um and they would always come to me like maybe three four five years ago even mm-hmm. you know and they were like you know say where can we get these shoes and they would always look at it and be like okay cool they see it online but they don't necessarily have access to it okay. now they in a they are a lot bigger artists and all of that stuff now they're in a position to kind of drive the culture in a sense of okay cool you know this is what they rocking this is what people want to be rocking you know there's there's also cool store collaborations now that are coming about you know um there's retailers that go out there do collaborations with stores and all of that stuff so i mean the market i mean i think from a global scale people are looking at south africa and africa at large and saying look you know there is some type of uniqueness within this continent um and I think, yeah, I mean, from artist perspectives, it's it's your top tier artists, your Casper Noves and right. these guys that are always, you know, fashion forward. And they travel them... the world, they see what's happening, and they always come back and put it in their own context. And will some of them be at this event? Yeah, so tomorrow, um, I'm actually at the event now, setting Fantastic. up all of this. Um, Ricky Rick is out there, Youngster CPT, who's doing amazing stuff for Cape Town, is out there, um, Patsy Monroe, Gemini Major, Sejo, and the list goes on, you know. Um, but it's an amazing event where people can come. It's like open for the whole family. People can really experience what the sneaker culture is about. There's really cool, like, car displays that we're having. Um, Puma's doing a really crazy activation with, like, Sega because they have a collaboration with Sega dropping. Uh-huh. So it's all of these different activations that kind of happen within the place, and it's open to the whole family. So it's like family-friendly, kid-friendly, and it's just all in all an amazing experience. So I, want, I would like you to give me a bit of a uh, perspective, Zaid. You know, if one looks at spreadsheets or data analytics, th- this, is a, this is a market that is largely driven by millennials. Um, you know, not only, but, you know, in, in, it, it's been taken up by them. They're about $20 billion yeah. of the 55. 
Yeah. With respect, unlike the rest of the world, we're a kind of a third world country. Um, when we're talking about four or $5,000 sneakers with 50% unemployment amongst the youth, how big can this really get? You know what it is. I think where we are in a sense of the world, everybody really wants to express themselves. Yes. Um, and I think that's what everybody's pushing. Like, you know, be yourself, be authentic to who you are and all of that. The thing I always go out and tell people is, look, perhaps you cannot afford that 4,000 rand shoe. But rather go out there, buy a cheaper Vans or buy something else, mm. and you still are contributing to that whole market. And at the same time, the, like the biggest thing I always tell people is like, look, don't go out there and buy fake sneakers. Um, <laughs> in a sense of... Or Ricky Rick like, will make fun of you, apparently. <laughs> wow. Sorry. <laughs> no? um, in a sense of... People are always out there looking at what is next. You know, what are these artists rocking and all of that stuff. But if you're not in means to do that, you know, rather go out there, buy the secondhand shoe. Buy, like, learn right. about the culture. You don't always need to go out there, buy the most hyped up sneaker and all of that, you know. Um, but I think in a sense of South Africa, it is definitely growing. Recently, we did a sneaker exchange activation in Nigeria. Mm-hmm. And for me, when I went out there, I didn't really have, didn't really have much. I didn't really expect much. Um, so when we went there, it was an activation within another event that happened out there. And what really like hit me was there's a lot of people still wearing fake sneakers there. And I'm looking at it as a sense of, okay, cool. You know, why are these guys wearing fake sneakers? They are educated of, cool, this is real, this is fake and all of that. But it's also that accessibility. And I mean, a thousand rand to a lot of people there is a lot of money. It's a lot of money. So, yeah. Are there any South African brands that could participate meaningfully in this market at a really accessible price? Yes, there is. And that's what we're pushing more and more now is saying, okay, guys, you know, yes, there are your Pumas. Yes, there are your Nikes and everybody else that's out there. But at the same time, let's see what we have within the continent that we can really export to the rest of the world. And still taking that to, you know, it's a cool, authentic product. It's around relevant influences. It's around relevant people. Um, we just recently launched a platform called Great Africa. And what that is, is really working on empowering local clothing brands, helping with their distribution of product, and really just exposing the South African culture and saying, look, this is who we are, this is what we stand for, and this is why you need to be messing with it. Excellent stuff. That was Zaid Osman getting us very excited for the sneaker exchange that will be at the waterfront tomorrow. That's the founder of Sneaker Exchange. Zaid, thank you so much for your insights. The Money Show is brought to you by Old Mutual, a licensed financial services provider. Today's the day. Get great financial advice. Do great things. This is Rifilo Moloto, and I am standing in for Bruce Whitfield. On your next Money Show, we will have one of South Africa's most popular actors, Selo Makegangube, in studio to talk about his relationship with money. Also, tune in for your Stock Pick Monday and Business Book feature, as well as any market and business news. All this and more on your next show. Welcome back to The Money Show. I wish it were Bruce Whitfield. I'm sorry to disappoint you. It's Rufilo Moloto. Uh, you will have Bruce Whitfield again next week. But in the meantime, keeping our memories warm of him, we'll have the brutal biz quiz at, towards the end of the show. But before that, as usual, we like to talk about the best bits or play you the best bits of The Money Show this week. A couple of controversial quest- uh, stories that came up, uh, starting, of course, with Laduma Ngokolo, uh, uh, the founder of fashion brand Makosa, this, who this week claimed that Spanish retail brand Zara copied his designs.
Bruce asked him if Zara can argue that it was inspired by the same things that inspired La Duma. When I first came up with my design concepts, I consulted the university where I did my pieces project at, and they advised that I register my designs immediately. So that that is the step that we took. <laughs> um, I I purely take inspiration of my designs from closer bid work, but I modify them to make them to make them unique enough for me to register them yeah. and make them unique to the brand. So. Um, Designers look at different types of inspirations. There's millions of inspirations in the world. So um, that's why I was able to, to achieve a distinctive aesthetic. Uh, and so, I mean, I'm sure if you had a look at the Zara website to see whether or not there are any Kosa designers on the payroll of Zara, um, I doubt it very much, is my point. But um, that that is, here's, here you are, though, as a South African brand, picking a fight with a very powerful global brand. Uh, is, have you got any chance at all other than naming and shaming and getting them to back down? Um, I do have chances according to the South African Copyright Law 98, which was, um, um, which is on our, which is on, in our constitution. Um, I can lay criminal charges besides on the copyright law that uh, in South Africa we have in our laws in the UK, same case in the US as well. So I do have a, te- a case technically. Ultimately, Zara pulled the product from the shelves and announced an internal investigation into the matter. When auditing firm Nkongi announced this week it had applied for the voluntary liquidation of its Sunning Hill business, corporate reporting specialist and former Nkongi consultant Dr. Stephen Fira had some emotional words to share. I'm feeling very angry, Bruce. Um, I must, I must say, and I, and I, as I said to you earlier, I, I'm a little ashamed of the accounting profession and how silent it is. I mean, I can only tell you what I believe is that if this was a big four firm being cancelled out or or taken out, I, I can well believe that there would be an outcry. Even, I mean, heaven would hear about it. Yet there is absolute silence in regard to the demise of a black demise of a black firm. It's just the silence is deafening, and I'm very angry about it. Are you you angry about the fact that there was an apparently corrupt transaction that worried the Auditor General that led to a change in shareholding which worried the Auditor General? Or are you worried about the fact that the accounting profession is not standing up for one of their own? Well, Bruce, uh, quite clearly, um, if the uh, press article is to be believed, well, then that was one transaction between two equity shareholders. And it obviously was suicide in where you borrow the money from. I mean, there's no doubt about that. But that transaction should have had no impact on the other 180 people and the external audit division, which did extremely good work. In fact, we just had finished an urban review, which had great promise. And, and you know how that goes. And if you've got great promises, then you're on your way. I really thought at the end of the day we would be coming out of this urban review smiling. And then, and then the article came out. You can't blame the press in essence. It's, it's, it's the leaders of our community, the leaders of the profession that have let us down completely. That was Dr. Stephen Ferro on the Nkonki matter. Chris Skutter is the veteran CEO of Astral Foods, the chicken company. He was our Make Money Monday's special edition guest. He told Bruce why he became a Harley Davidson fan. 
When my daughter was young, I said to her the day I retire and when she leaves university, and, and I'm proud to say she, 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 did, did, the, yeah. she did, and she did four degrees, so I'm very proud of that. But um, I always said once I'm 60, I'm going to grow a ponytail, get a couple of tattoos and get a black Harley. And she got on to the idea, and, and at one stage I was looking at some fun and wanted to buy a off-road motorbike, and she said, no, you said it's going to be a Harley and it's going to be a black one. So we did the black Harley thing. Me and my wife started to get into it, and, and we enjoyed it enormously. Where's we, the ponytail? The ponytail is on its way. Uh, working. Uh, yeah, working uh, three years to go, <laughs> then I'm 60. <laughs> I'll have to start to work on that. But the Harley experience, also if you look at the Harley culture across the world, it's a family business. The um, after-sales division of that Harley owners uh, uh, group is, is very popular. So we travel in groups. We've met a whole lot of people. Uh, you know, and, and if you go and look, I think at one stage Trevor was on, Emmanuel was on a Harley um, Neville uh, is on a Harley So there's a lot of business people that find a bit of recreation On a Saturday or Sunday On on, a, on the back of a motorbike I just chose the Harley because of its culture And its background Is that your biggest extravagance Or do you have other bad habits, money habits? I think that's about it um, I'm very conservative But I can remember once paid more than 100 rand For a bottle of red wine And I almost fainted What? More but than 100 bucks for a bottle of red wine? <laughs> Oh, you're crazy kids, huh? So, um, yeah, we, we, conservative. Um, we, we like the home life, and sometimes I'm, I'm afraid to tell people, but me and my wife call it, we book in on a Friday night at, at our house. We're alone, and, and I only leave it on, on a Monday morning, um, spend time in an old T-shirt, ragged T-shirt, and, and pity pants. So, um, n- not very exciting. That was Astral CEO Chris Sketter in our Make Money Mondays feature. Wayne Kaminsky, the founder and CEO of the healthy food subscription service FitShift, Fit Chef, was this week's shape shifter. He spoke to us about how he came about with the idea launching the business. I mean, literally, I think sort of most businesses or good businesses, businesses come from that whole thing where you decide, you know, um, let's solve my issues. And if you can solve your own issues, the light comes on and you think, hang on a second, I can solve this for others too. And with me, the whole thing was like, I think 2000, I don't know, 2009, 2010, I was um, working way too hard, doing all kinds of things. Um, and in 2009, 2010, over the two years, I, I was on 14 courses of antibiotics. I mean, here I am doing sort of Ironman, doing massive training sessions. Um, I'd done sort of 320-kilometer one-day cycles, done, done a lot of sort of extreme stuff there. And I found I was just living sick all the time, living on antibiotics all the time, still overweight. And actually, I think the, the sort of light came on one day. It was three weeks before the main Ironman, the, the full Ironman. And um, a friend of mine saw me on the beach and said to me, Wayne, if only you could lose like five kilograms, you'd look great. And it's not a lot, but you think like, you know, here I'm burning, I mean, I'm, I'm exercising sort of like 10-hour exercise sessions, 12-hour exercise sessions, you know, cycling, you know, 250 kilometers before a, breakfast, just, before, just, just to warm up. Before yeah. breakfast, exactly. That's it. <laughs> and, you know, he said to me, like, wait a minute, you know, if only you could lose, you know, five kilograms, you'd look great. And I thought, this is mad. I've just done a 180K cycle. I'm doing a 30K run this afternoon, and I've done an hour and a half swim this morning. This is mad. I, and I'm eating fairly well. I'd seen someone who said to me, this is, this is how you eat calories in versus calories out. I was, I was watching my food, and yet I was getting no results. And super sick, um, mentally sort of not focused. 
and I realised, yeah. So what? So so what was the moment? I mean, how did the process, that transition, go from being Mr. Dependent on on antibiotics and and Mr. Social Media yeah. to getting into a chefy business? Well, the, well, the first thing that happened to me was I thought, okay, let me just um, head out to a sort of pharmacy and buy everything that says immune booster. And I literally came out with a trolley with about two and a half thousand rand worth of things that said immune booster. Did they work? No. <laughs> <laughs> That was the founder of FitChef, Wayne Kaminsky. The Money Show. The Biz Quiz. It's almost time for us to have the brutal biz quiz. Remember this night, this evening or this week, we won't be having any prizes, just bragging rights. And the first question for the brutal biz quiz is, which Spanish company was founded 43 years ago as Zorba? Which Spanish company was founded 43 years ago as Zorba? Call us and let us know your answer. The Money Show. The Biz Quiz. Welcome back to The Money Show. It's almost the top of the hour, which means on a Friday like today, it is time for the Brutal Biz Quiz. You're still here with Rufilo Moloto sounding in for Bruce Whitfield. Um, excuse me, I think I said Brutal Bruce Quiz. I mean to say Brutal Biz Quiz. Same thing, really, exactly. So the first question was, which Spanish company was founded 43 years ago as Zorba? This is pretty much of an easy one. You sh- guys shouldn't struggle too hard. We've got Terence on the line. Terence, hi. Welcome to the hi. Brutal Biz Quiz. I don't see that. I think it's Zara. Absolutely. Well done, Wendell and Torres. The company made headlines this week after local designer Makosa accused them of copying one of his designs. And, of course, having gotten the first question right, you're able to go on to the next one. Uh, which famous mushroom brand is owned by soon-to-be-listed company Libstar? Uh, Denny. Imp- impressive. Yes, Terrence, that's exactly correct. Uh, Bruce spoke with uh, Robin Smith, the co-founder and chief financial officer of Libstar this week about the company and its planned listing. And now you get to go on to question number three. Um, what will the newly established panel that includes Professor Ingrid Willard, Dr. Tabi Leoga and Professor Imran Valodia have to investigate? Oh, I think I'm stumped. Uh, I think I'm stumped. Terence, thank you very much for playing. Our next caller that will speak to, I believe, is John. John, hi, are you on the line? John? Yeah, I'm on the line. Yes. <laughs> Just a little shy, a little shy. Did you hear the third did you hear the third question? Um what was the question? The I question is yeah. Okay, so what, what will the newly established panel that includes Professor Ingrid Willard, Dr. Tabi Lioga, and Professor Imran Valodio have to investigate? Yeah, Very I, topical. Yeah. John, this affects your pocket every day. <laughs> All right. That's unfortunate. Yeah, no clue. Yeah. All right, then. Thanks a lot. Um, thanks a lot, John. Remember, you can call us uh, with on 011-883-0702 and 021-446-0567. The question there was, what will the newly established panel that includes Professor Ingrid Willard, Dr. Tabi Lioka, Professor Imran Valodia, have to investigate? The Money Show. The Biz Quiz. Welcome back to the Biz Quiz, and we have Glenn on the line. Glenn, do you know the answer? Yes, to... yes I know the answer. Oh, wow. Okay, go ahead. The answer is uh, items that 
are going to be included, that will be, that will be rated as zero rated uh, in, in terms of tax. Exactly. Well done. Well yeah. done, Glenn. That was excellent. Okay. Finance Minister Ntantanene okay. was a, has appointed an independent panel of experts, nine of them, to review the list of zero-rated VAT items. So having gotten that one right, Glenn, I have the next one for you. Which auditing firm announced it is applying for voluntary liquidation? Voluntary liquidation. KPMG? Unfortunately not. Sorry, Glenn. Thank you very much for playing. Uh, and anyone Thank else? Uh, thanks, thanks, Glenn. Anybody else who'd like to know whether or not whether or not KPMG is actually able to stay on the air, <laughs> stay in the market? That isn't actually the correct answer. The answer was, in fact, Ngonki. We just had that on the uh, Best Bits of the Money show um, where we had uh, Dr. Steve Ferrer talking to us about how frustrated he was about what happened with Ngonki. And the company announced this week that its Sunning Hill branch is filing for liquidation after the Auditor's General Office said that it would no longer be making use of the firm. The rest of the Ngonki business will, however, try to survive. That has been a really fun round of the brutal biz quiz. As always, I've had a fantastic fantastic time uh, being here uh, being here for the week looking forward to having or excuse me for the day this Friday looking forward to a really great uh, Freedom Day weekend for the rest of you I'll be back on Monday sitting in for Bruce one more time uh, when everybody else is back at work I will be as well uh, thank you again for listening to The Money Show